When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Jordan Klepper from The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, this is the hot seat over here. Rolling? Your last interview for Behind the Music was in 2001. Can you hear me? It's not easy. Okay, let's go through the earpiece then. Let's do that. Okay. Testing, testing. Can you hear I me? I hear you. Okay. So 2001, did you ever think back then that you would be where you are today? I, I had no idea where I would be, especially since I lost my hearing. I'm happy to be alive, let's face it. They were a group of friends with a simple dream. But Huey Lewis and the News became an 80s phenomenon, selling more than 30 million albums. For a time, they were the biggest band in the world. But the road to stardom was paved with struggle. But the band never gave up. And soon, their R&B sound and upbeat tunes were captivating audiences, leaving the band to tour the world for decades to come. But fans had no idea Huey was struggling with a serious health issue. Then suddenly, the music stopped. But from darkness came inspiration. Now, nearly two decades after his original episode of Behind the Music aired, the rock and roll icon is reflecting on key moments of his life, giving new insights on his past, and looking ahead with an inspiring message about resilience. This is Huey Lewis and the News, the story behind the music. In early 2018, Huey Lewis and the News were ready to jump into a new year of touring. We were a live band. It's really what we do best. I like the harmonies, I like the horns, and I love the songs. You know, they're just like kind of what pop songs are supposed to be. But in a hotel room in Dallas, life as Huey Lewis knew it suddenly changed. 2018, January 27th, before a gig, the last gig I've played, I lost my hearing. It was probably the worst night of my life. I'd just woken up from my nap, and my tour manager came to get me from my room, and I realized immediately I couldn't hear much of what he was saying. And then as we went through the bowels of the hotel getting ready for the stage, it sounded like there was a war going on or something. It was just explosions or something. I couldn't figure it out. I said, what's that? And they said, well, that's the opening act. I said, what? And we started to play, and it was cacophony. I couldn't hear her anything. And it's very possible that I may never perform again.
Huey's long road to musical stardom began in the shadow of the Golden Gate Bridge just north of San Francisco in 1950. He was born Hugh Craig III, a blue blood name given to him by his beatnik parents. I treated him like an adult from the time he was aside, and he managed to, you know, be an adult very early in the game. The game advantages all the way up the line. Huey's father was a part-time radiologist with a full-time passion for jazz. He taught Huey how to swing. My old man used to put me on the drums, and he, he you know, and he make me play swing stuff. You know, Raybaduke, uh, Raybaduke, Raybaduke, and he's, he's, he always just tell me, if you can do that, you can get great time. Time is everything. While his father turned him on to jazz giants like Basie and Mingus, his mother introduced him to underground artists like Ginsberg and Dylan. Huey and I would go Saturday afternoon to the Fillmore, to whatever concerts were going on, poetry readings, concerts. Both my father and my mother were always uh, very progressive, I guess is, is the word for it. And they <laughs> always encouraged me to try everything, try anything, you know, try it. They're both bohemians, really. My dad was a legit bohemian. Well, my mom was one of the very first hippies. They had parties and, you know, they were quite, quite lively. But my dad was a, was a hard ass, you know. He loved me a lot, but he was a hard ass. My dad never said, I love you. One time later in life, I remember I told him, I said, okay, Pops, I love you. And, and I could just hear him go, oh. <laughs> so I never bothered with that again. But, you know, he's from that generation. I tell my kids I love him all the time. A happy-go-lucky kid who loved listening to music, Huey began suffering painful earaches at the age of six. The remedy was five penicillin shots one each day for five days. And in those days, the syringes were that big, and the needles were about that big, and I was about this big. And I remember just hating those shots. That would happen every winter. And I remember my dad was a radiologist, and he always said, you know, you got crappy eustachian tubes. Despite the pain, Huey excelled in school. He was an academic whiz who skipped second grade, and an athletic ace who was a natural on the mound a charismatic kid who always had a smile for his mother's camera. But the carefree days of beat poets in baseball came to an end when his parents divorced. He was just 13. There was a court case, which was really tough for me. You know, my dad on the one side, my mom on the other. And the judge actually called me back in his chambers and he says, what do you want to do? Huey refused to choose between parents. So his father suggested he enroll in a private prep school 3,000 miles and a world away from the Bohemian Bay Area. Oh, I didn't know that it was a competitive world. And I was sure that he'd be channels if he went to prep school. The kicker was he gave me a manual from the school, uh, you know, a handbook. And uh, on the cover was this guy, a kind of a preppy guy walking across this gorgeous quad with ivy-covered buildings in the background and a cute little Buffy co-ed, and I thought, yeah, that looks good. Huey immediately regretted his decision. Lawrenceville School was an all-boys academy, a tough-as-nails throwback to the 19th century. Students were required to wear a jacket and tie, attend chapel daily, and study silently three hours each night. Huey was a stranger in a strange land. My freshman and sophomore years at prep school, I was literally just trying to keep my head above water. Academically, it was tough. Socially, it was really tough. I remember 
you know, being really homesick for my first six months there. I was definitely the outsider. He came in with the pointed shoes and the shark skin pants. And it was just totally different. I think he sort of looked around at everybody and went, oops. If you know the loneliness that he experienced as a child, it, it, it helps you to understand what a tough guy he is. It was tough for me early. I, I had a little tough period there. But I learned that, you know, you're going to have to make your own way in this world. And I don't know, somehow it, it steeled me to where I, I look on the bright side of things. I, I've, since that time, I've been very, very optimistic about things. Huey did his best to fit in. Rolf Reinaldo was his roommate and his best friend at Lawrenceville. Together, they learned to party prep school style. Rolf was a free spirit, shall we say. And it was in New Jersey, and there were apple groves everywhere. So you could buy apple cider and then let it ferment. And Rolf had this down pretty good. We didn't know what we were doing, but then, you know, any port in a storm. Huey was a two-sport athlete and a member of the drama club. But it was back in the dorm after lights out, listening to a transistor radio, where Huey found his true love, music. By his junior year, he was sneaking off campus and into smoky blues bars. He used to go into the clubs in Trenton, and Trenton was really rough, and nobody went into Trenton because, you know, get killed in Trenton. I remember a great gig at the Town Hall in New York City where uh, I saw the Butterfield Blues Band for the first time, and the only seats they had available were on the stage, and it was just amazing to me. He became obsessed with the blues and took up the harmonica. When my parents split up, my mother rented a room to a folk singer, and he'd give me his old harmonicas. That's how I first started to play. Always the overachiever, Huey practiced endlessly. He's a great harmonica player now, but in the beginning, it wasn't so rosy. In my senior year, knowing about some of the bands and, and beginning to play the harmonica, that's how I could establish my identity. You know, I was somebody. And, and I, I realize now that I was struggling for something to, to distinguish myself. But he was already a distinguished student, scoring a perfect 800 on his math SATs. In 1967, Huey graduated from prep school, and he was eager to jump to college. But when he arrived back home, his father had other plans. He informed me that I was 16 years old and pretty much on my own, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to father me much more. It was, all the decisions were pretty much mine, except there was one more thing that he was going to make me do. I said, it's a big world out there. I told him, just stop education right now and just see something of the world. Get, get a feeling for it and decide where you fit in it. He says, you're a year young. I want you to take a year off and bum around Europe. With only a few hundred dollars in his pocket, Huey charmed an airline employee into helping him sneak onto a plane to London. For the next year, he and a friend would travel extensively, living day to day, meal to meal. I just literally hitchhiked through Europe with a knapsack and a sleeping bag. And, I, and many times I slept on the side of the road. He quickly learned he could live off the one thing he loved most in the world, music. We went to North Africa for three months, lived in Marrakesh in the square, where I played harmonica with the hat 
amidst snake charmers and uh, bicyclists, you know, uh, acrobatics. And, and there I was playing blues with a harmonica in the street, and I'd make $2 over an hour or so. And I said, I'm supporting myself. I like this. I think, I think I'll be a musician. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. After traveling the world for a year, Huey's dreams of music followed him back to school. The 17-year-old math whiz enrolled in Cornell University's engineering program. What I really was excited about was music and poetry, which is the antithesis of the engineering stuff I'm studying. And so first thing I did was join a band, which was called Slippery Elm. The band quickly became a frat house favorite, and Huey decided he had found his life's calling. In 1970, he quit college and moved back to California to pursue music full-time. Harmonica in hand, he joined a Bay Area band called Clover, a group with tons of talent, but no musical direction. We had multiple singers, lead singers. We had incorporated a lot of different musical styles, and nobody could really ever figure out what we really were. Clover scraped by by playing an endless string of clubs up and down the West Coast. At the end of the week, each member was lucky to bring home a hundred bucks. Every year or so, we'd head down to L.A. and try and get a record contract and never could do it. Finally, after a decade of frustration, Clover landed a recording contract. In 77, the English label Vertigo gave them a two-record deal. Ecstatic, the band raced to London. I considered England that it was like being in rock and roll boot camp. I mean, we, we got dragged through the mud. Clover's records bombed and British audiences all but chased them from the stage. We got booed every time we played. We didn't get booed off, necessarily. In fact, that was our little thing. Could we actually get to the end of the set without getting booed off the stage? After two years in London, Clover was wilting. And in 1979, after 11 frustrating years, they made the agonizing decision to break up. I mean, in retrospect, I probably should have quit 100 times. But when you're struggling, you're convinced you're going to make it. And I always tell people, look, unless being a musician is the only thing you want to do, then do something else. But it, because it, because the odds are long. But if it is the only thing you want to do, then keep trying. Pushing 30 with no job, no money, and his music career at a dead end, Huey Lewis needed to make a change. In the back of my mind, I thought, if this band Clover ever breaks up, I'm going to go start my own group, and I'm going to, it's going to have horn players in it, uh, more sort of R&B that way, and I'm going to sing every song. And so, and when Clover broke up, that's pretty much what I did. Heading home to California, he gathered a group of friends and began jamming at a club called Uncle Charlie's, with himself as the lead singer. 
all of a sudden Huey was singing and he had this great Huey Lewis voice, this raspy R&B, wonderful voice. And uh, it was really neat to see a guy come out as a singer. My idea was to just invite all my favorite musicians from town, which happened to be what became the news, and create a house band. And of course, I'd sing all the songs. And I thought to myself, I could get, I could get an extra gig, maybe a couple gigs a month out of this. I could make another 150 bucks. The object always for me has been to be able to be in a band with your pals, playing music, and have people show up and make a living. Within months, the shows were selling out. As the shows got bigger, they started adding little steps to their routines or just little jumps or things, and they would feed off the crowd, the crowd would feed off of them. It was incredible. Encouraged by the barroom cheers, Huey begged and borrowed a week of studio time to cut a demo. There was just something about it, and I liked his voice. And uh, even though like, it sounds very, you know, uh, primitive. After hearing Huey's tape, veteran manager Bob Brown felt compelled to see the band live. There may have been 15 people there, and they got on stage, and he played it like they were in a coliseum. The songs were great, and the energy was up, and it was like I was just taken. Brown signed on as their manager, and with demo in hand, he set out in search of a record deal. I went through Capitol Records, Atlantic Records, Warners. I went to every American label there was. A&M wasn't interested after just uh, a couple of minutes. They just said, the guy can't sing. We really weren't as good as Bob thought we were, or Bob pretended we were. And I think he simply bowled people over with his enthusiasm. Finally, Chrysalis Records decided to take a chance. And in the fall of 80, the newly named Huey Lewis and the News released their self-titled debut. That video, which is Some of My Lies Are True, which is done on a sewage pier, that was my idea. We shot that with a, with a video camera, which was brand new. This, that was cut in 1977, 78. There was a gal who said, well, I'll shoot the video for you guys if we can show it on our channel at 2 o'clock in the morning, and then we'll give you the video. I, we said, great. But few tuned into the news, and the album flopped. Huey's musical career was on the line. I distinctly remember thinking, I just turned 30, I had $300 to my name, and that we needed a hit. And if we didn't, we were gonna lose the record label, and this was really do or die. By the early 80s, Huey Lewis and the News had faced their first disappointment as a band and needed a hit record. The second album definitely had a little more pressure on it because you only had so many shots. The clock was ticking for a pop career. With their future on the line, the band insisted Chrysalis Records allow them to produce their sophomore release themselves. In the early 80s, it was all about radio. You needed a hit record or you didn't exist. And I wanted to make those decisions ourselves because I knew I'd have to live with them. With Huey at the helm, the band returned to the studio. But after six long months of laying down tracks, the make or break record still felt like a bust. We needed to have a hit. So there was discussion about whether there was a, quote, single or not. And none of us were convinced that there was. Stumped, Huey turned to an old friend from his London days, Robert Mutt Lang, the legendary producer behind ACDC's monster album, Back in Black. I'd asked him if he'd had any songs, uh, and he sent us a tune called uh, We Both Believe in Love that was obviously commercial, and I changed the lyric a little bit. He changed the words into Do You Believe in Love from We Both Believe in Love. And it was the most pop thing we'd done. Uh, but 
but it lived for me. You know, it was fine. It was good. Do you believe in love? They really think they got a chance at a hit. And so they said, we're going to do a really big video here. They hired a professional guy who did this video with the pastel sets. And then we were dressed in kind of similarly pastel clothes and rouge on our cheeks, really made up. And my heart sank. I thought it was horrible. Huey's funny because some of the things he hates, I love. I sometimes find myself in the position of telling him, no, that was great. And he's like, no, it wasn't. And I'm like, yes, it was. And then I'm like, why am I fighting with this man about his own work? Huey may have hated the video, but the song was the break the band desperately needed. When they released Picture This in the spring of 82, the song shot to number seven on the charts. It was the most exciting thing in the world, being uh, you know, 22, 23 years old and hearing yourself on the radio. It was just overwhelming. Huey and his friends had struck a sonic nerve with their smile-inducing songs and upbeat vibe, and they soon found the perfect way to keep the good times rolling. We were one of MTV's first darlings. You know, we were one of the first American bands that made videos. There was an early concert footage. In April of 82, the News were one of the first bands to appear live in concert on fledgling music television channel MTV. The timing of Huey's rise to the beginning of MTV was perfect. Um, he was a good-looking rock and roller who played good rock and roll music. Suddenly, we're getting fan mail from Tulsa, Oklahoma, because cable was new. And so MTV was only in tertiary markets. We didn't have it in San Francisco. We didn't have it in LA. You had it in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Detroit, Michigan. And we could literally feel the impact of MTV when we would hit the road and play the songs and everything. It was amazing. On the road for a national tour, the news were winning fans and finding inspiration in clubs and cities across the country. We just played a show in Cleveland and just killed them. And he came out and we're just high as a kite on the bus. And I said, you know what, guys? The heart of rock and roll was in Cleveland. And I said, hey, wait a minute. That's a good idea for a song. And three guys went, the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland? You gotta be crazy. Huey turned the simple hook into a catchy travelogue, and with the heart of rock and roll, the band hit a groove. In the fall of 82, they returned to the studio to work on a rollicking record that would make music history. When I got the tapes of this new album, eventually called Sports, I just knew it was it. Was it. I mean, it was absolutely the best thing I'd ever been involved in. We sat there and our mouths just dropped open. I mean, and, and stayed dropped open, you know, for 45 minutes. He played six songs that were obviously top 10 hits. When sports hit record stores in late 83, it was an immediate smash. But it took a few lonely weeks for fans to find Huey on the road. The record company sort of phoning me every day to tell me how great the record's doing. And I'm playing a disco in Odessa, Texas. I mean, there's literally 15 people there, you know, four of whom are cowboys in cowboy hats and couldn't care less about Huey Lewis in the news. You know, when we started the tour, they were booing us off the stage. By the end of the tour, they were starting to come to see us, and the people were going nuts. Huey came out with real rock and roll, with R&B roots you could dance to. It was speaking to them, and he was the guy. Every party, every college kid and every senior in high school, that was their music of 1984-85. First Huey Lewis concert I went to, I got up at like 4 o'clock in the morning to wait in line to buy tickets. 
it was very strange to go from listening to a cassette tape and seeing the videos on MTV to being in this huge room with all these people who knew the songs. It was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. In a matter of weeks, sports rocketed to number one. Huey and the News were still playing modest halls that had been booked months earlier. But now the 3,000-seat theaters had 10,000 screaming fans outside fighting to get in. In the early to mid-80s, they were as big as any band around as far as commercial sales. You know, they were up there with Madonna and, and uh, Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson. I knew we were riding a wave. I never from the beginning thought, hey, we're the best band in America. Propelled by a parade of hits like I Want a New Drug, sports stayed on the Billboard charts for a mind-boggling 158 weeks. I realized, hey, we're going to be able to do this for the rest of our lives. The record would eventually sell over 10 million copies. But for Huey, making music was more important than stardom. My dad always used to say that, you know, if your song's number one, it can't be very good because uh, all the best stuff isn't the most popular. And, and I guess I kind of agreed with him, you know, in a little way, because I remember when our record went number one, I thought, number one, you know, I, I thought it was better than that. <laughs> I've never seen anyone handle stardom better than Huey. Um, he treated everyone with respect, and he remembered people's names. He was great with autograph seekers and particularly great with kids. We would go through... Uh, all these special things to get the band back to the hotel and whatever, bring them in through the back door, take them in through this way and get them back. And then Huey would go down to the bar and have a drink with all of the fans. Hey there, Jordan Klepper from The Daily Show and Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. After a decade and a half of hard work, Huey Lewis had hit the big time. We were realizing our dream which was stay on the road, play the songs. Now we're filling coliseums, and this was a dream come true. But that dream was tested in 1983, when Huey was suddenly struck with a severe case of vertigo. Before a show, I was violently ill and dizzy, and uh, I couldn't, you know, I was nauseous. I went to the hospital, and nobody knew what it was. With no explanation for his vertigo, Huey Lewis pushed on, trying to keep up with his growing popularity. Those couple years, not only would you hear yourself on the radio all the time, but at every sporting event, and, and all the commercials began to sound like your records, and, you know, it was just silly. Then Hollywood came calling. In 1985, Huey and guitarist Chris Hayes were asked to write two songs for the soundtrack of the movie Back to the Future. The Power of Love was instantly transported to number one, becoming Huey's sixth top 10 tune. For many bands, the pressure to repeat the success of a multi-platinum album like Sports would be overwhelming, but Huey and the boys took it all in stride. I remember um, going to the store and grabbing a six pack of beer and thinking, you know what, I'm gonna write a song and I'm, I'm gonna need some beer. And I went into the studio and I sat down and I started playing this da, 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 you know, the guitar part, right? And then I made this demo up. I mean, I just kind of recorded it over the period of, of a six-pack. Four was released in the spring of 86. The first single, Stuck With You, shot straight to number one. 
it would be just one of the album's five top ten hits. The hooks were memorable, but the band wanted the music videos to be unforgettable, so the news took charge, infusing the clips with their own offbeat brand of irreverent humor. Before MTV, audio was all that mattered, and so the visual component wasn't so big, and so we, we kind of stumbled onto that. We actually got more involved and more creative with our videos, which is really some of the fun times we had was creating and making the early videos that we did. They all had a sense of humor to them, and uh, everybody got to, to put their two cents in. One of the things that endeared them to the public in the early days was uh, on their very first MTV videos, they were kind of inspired by the same sort of zany, tongue-in-cheek, poking fun at themselves, uh, things that the Beatles did with A Hard Day's Night. Our attitude was always to avoid a literal translation of the song at all costs and simply goof. And we really had a good time doing them. I mean, it was, uh, it was funny. Huey's videos were always goofy, a little bit corny, but funny. I also liked how he would subtly abuse the rest of the band, like by burying them up to their necks in the sand. You know, sometimes the band would just be a series of heads. And when you get you get into show business and you know how things work, you realize how much they must have hated that. Four sold over three million copies, and Huey Lewis and the News played to pack stands around the world for the next two years. I think when people see hip to be square, they're like, oh, this guy's a real square. But I, I will tell you, this is not a square. I originally wrote that song in the third person. He used to be a renegade, he used to fool around. And it was meant to articulate a phenomenon of the Bohemians dropping back in and becoming bourgeois, which was an 80s thing. But I thought it would be funnier if I told it in the first person, and not everybody got the joke. By 1988, Huey Lewis and the News had ruled the pop charts for six years. As they returned to the studio, they had a new mission. Between Sports and Four, the band had sold well over 15 million records. Selling millions of records wasn't the object anymore. Huey and the, and the whole band took a step and said, we're going to show you what we can do. We're going to show you what's in our soul. They needed to stretch out a little bit and, and see what they were capable of doing. On the album, Huey and the News employed the talents of legendary jazz saxophonist Stan Getz and the mighty horns of Tower of Power. It's an R&B tour de force, you know, I think, the whole album. And it's my favorite Huey Lewis album. It's got great music on it. But I think maybe it was a little over his audience head. In 1988, they released Small World. It was a critical success, but couldn't match the sales of Huey's previous albums. I was so proud of that single. And yet, it was the first one in a chain of 20 not to break the top 20. It wasn't as humorous as some of our stuff, and, and you know, and, and it was unfortunate that people don't really kind of want that stuff from me. Sometimes if the crowd was small, I could see that Huey was disappointed. But I'll say this, he always gave a great show. I remember uh, having a discussion with the guys at band meeting. I said, guys, we only go from nowhere to everywhere once. And I said, let's enjoy it, you know, let's, let's not be in a hurry to go to get through this thing. Let's just enjoy it. You know, in retrospect, I think we did. Despite the drop in sales, the band continued doing what they love, playing music and touring around the world. But unbeknownst to their fans, Huey's vertigo had returned. My vertigo episodes were intense. You get so nauseous. You guys ready? Couldn't stand up, the room spinning. 
And I called Lowell, our tour manager, and Lowell came and saved me and then brought me a, a five milligram Valium, which they give you to take and put you out. And then when you wake up, you're fine. But things weren't fine. In 1991, out of nowhere, Huey lost hearing in his right ear. One day it just went away. It felt like I'd been swimming in the swimming pool and it was all clogged up and I couldn't, couldn't clear it. I went to this ENT friend, he examined me and then he said, well, get used to it. I said, what? He said, he said, get used to it. You only need one ear. I said, well, well but I'm a musician, I'm a singer. It scared me. Huey Lewis was a superstar with a career-threatening secret. He was grappling with the early stages of hearing loss. I went to my doctor in Montana, prescribed me amoxicillin or some kind of an antibiotic, and didn't work. Then I came to California, saw another doctor, gave me some heavier uh, antibiotics. They didn't work either. With a concert on the books, Huey had to make a decision, try to sing or cancel the show. So I thought, let's try. I still didn't have my right ear, and I was super apprehensive about what, putting in my in-ears and how is it gonna be. It was different, but I could sing, everything was fine. If you have dinner with him, you know that he doesn't hear very well in, in one ear, so you kind of figure it out, you know which side to talk to. But turns out you only need one ear to sing. Huey soldiered on, and in 2001, the band released Plan B. The album was a return to the soul and blues Huey loved before he became a pop star. We called it Plan B because it's the record we would have made if Plan A hadn't worked out. <laughs> we wrote Plan B for that nine-piece horn section. And the idea was to just capture those performances as opposed to creating them piece by piece in the studio. And that's how that record was cut. It was really fun. With a slate of new songs and classic hits, the band spent the next two decades doing what they loved most, hitting the road and playing more than 70 shows a year. That's, you know, 100 and... 20 days on the road almost. Some years we worked even more than that. On the road, the band jotted down lyrics for a new album. We were compiling songs all along, but you kind of have to wait for the ideas to come to you. And so when we'd have an idea, we'd work the song up, go play it live a bunch, and then record it and put it in the can. And we had seven songs in the can over the course of 10 years. But recording came to a screeching halt on January 27th, 2018. The news were about to take the stage in Dallas when suddenly Huey heard a pop in his left ear. My left ear crashed, and um, it was a nightmare. That We tried to do the show. I couldn't hear pitch. A bass part, which would go boom, 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 would go... I looked at John, and he's just playing away. And I look at him and go, what's going on? I thought the amplifier was blown or something. But it was my ear. Nearly deaf in his right ear already, he was now struggling to hear music at all while in front of an unsuspecting crowd. 
couldn't hear anything. Stumbled through the gig somehow. I don't. I don't even know how. I mean, I sang out of tune. It was. It was awful. It, it was. It was horrible. I said, guys, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. My hearing, blah blah blah. I went straight to bed. Woke up the next day. Flew to L.A. to see an E.N.T. guy that Justin Timberlake recommended. Put me on a 29-day program of steroids, and that didn't work. And then I got prednisone shots in my ear. I woke up the next morning violently ill. I had a, I had a vertigo. When he was experiencing symptoms, he was staying at my house. He was unable to stand up, and um, it was it was bad and scary, you know. My son came over, and you know, put me to bed. And when I woke up, I could hear. And I went, thank God. And three hours later, it crashed again. Doctors eventually diagnosed Huey with Meniere's disease, an inner ear condition which currently has no cure. Huey told me that he'd been diagnosed with Meniere's disease, and I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of it, and I don't think he knew a whole lot about what it was. Meniere's disease, it's not really a disease. It's a syndrome based on symptoms. They really don't know what it is. So I went immediately to House Ear Institute and started on this journey to try and find help. And, you know, I've been everywhere since then. I've been to Stanford Ear Institute, Mayo Clinic, UCSF, and nobody has any idea. I've, and I've tried all kinds of Eastern chiropractic, and acupuncture, and all organic diet, and uh, supplements, and, and CBD oil, and other kind of essential oils, and nothing works. With the help of hearing aids, Huey could still hear some sounds, but music was no longer recognizable. Speech is easier to listen to than music because even one note occurs in all frequencies with harmonics and overtones and stuff. The problem is when there are too many instruments and they're too loud, it goes cacophony for me and I can't, I can't find pitch. He also struggled with a nonstop roar in his ears. I had major tinnitus. I mean, I have tinnitus now. I have it all the time. And it was roaring in my head. You know, it was just miserable. Without a lead singer, the news were forced to immediately cancel all their remaining tour dates. That's when everybody said, "What? what's happened? And I, I issued a statement that I'd lost my hearing. You can't really schedule any professional engagements because you don't know if you show up, if you'll be able to hear. So it makes it virtually impossible to perform at a concert. I've never been a great singer, but I was always reliable. And the boys, the, you know, the guys depend on me. I felt like I let all these people down. So there's 25 guys that are out of a job. His musical life, as he knew it, was over. Singing. It's not just what he loves to do, it's what people know him for. And losing that ability, at least, you know, not being able to bank on it, I, I just can't imagine it. Huey had a difficult time coming to terms with that loss. Yeah, that was horrible. I mean, I, was, I, spent, I spent two months pretty much in bed contemplating my demise, thinking, I can't live like this, you know? Yeah, that was horrible. 
he was really down for a long time, and it's hard to find words uh, to cheer somebody up in a situation like that. I think he knows that we are genuinely concerned for him and for his not just physical well-being, but for his mental well-being, because this is a lot to deal with. But he handles it, I think, as well as as a person can handle it. You know, my kids have been great. And you just look at pictures of your granddaughter and they make you happy. And I had to remind myself that there's so many people out there worse off than me. You know, even if I can't hear it all, you know, don't be a baby about this. You know, you, you have a lot to be thankful for. So figure out now what are we going to do? Huey was determined to get his mind off his illness and back to what he loved most, music. John Abrams and Tyler Mitchell, you know, they came to me early on and said, wow, we'd like to try to write a musical on your music. I said, well, congratulations, you're number 55. You know, I mean, I've heard this for years and years and years, and I always said, you know, just show me the script. And that pretty much got rid of everybody, but their first draft was incredible. It was really, really good. Needing a creative outlet and distraction, Huey threw himself into work on his musical titled The Heart of Rock and Roll. The musical really saved my bacon because I was really in the worst state. And by the way, my hearing was so bad, many times I couldn't hear anything. So I couldn't even really contribute. But just being there, knowing that there was some creative happening and and our songs and all that and looking after it was therapeutic somehow. The musical also gave Huey the strength to try songwriting again. I had this idea for, I wanna be someone. I can't sing, but I heard it in my head a little bit. I can hear it in my head. When the show premiered in San Diego in the fall of 2018, the Heart of Rock and Roll gave Huey an opportunity to experience his music in an entirely new way. It's a completely objective look at your songs, which is fascinating. There's a lot of love, there's a lot of heart, there's a lot of working, there's a lot of power. These are words that just seem to come up in our songs. I realized, wow, there really is a kind of a thread that runs through all this stuff. And so it made me feel good about our catalog. After the musical's successful run, Huey Lewis was inspired to release the album he put on hold when he lost his hearing. We waited kind of a year to see if, if my hearing would get better, and it didn't, so I thought, why not share the songs with the fans? Uh, you know, we had seven of them, only seven, but uh, we all are very proud of that record. Released in February 2020, the album's title summed up the band's long career and the struggles they have gone through together. You know, we had sports, and uh, we are the news, so there's that. And it was a kind of a tough couple years for us anyway, so we've, we have experienced some weather. And I hope, I hope people hear it, because it, it really is some of our best work, I think. With famous friends pitching in to help, the music video for Her Love Is Killing Me became a visual reminder of all the support Yui has received over the years. Michael Keaton did it, and Jimmy Buffett did it, Joe Montana did it, and Jimmy Kimmel did it. It's quite a, the production value is tremendous. It makes you feel great when you have, you know, friends like that. The release of Weather was bittersweet because it's the only album they weren't able to play live. 
It's a team sport, the way we play music. It's really a band, and really, if it's all of us together, and that's really the fun part, is the camaraderie and the, the laughs, you know, that you have. And this is a tough thing for them, because, you know, we've all lost our livelihood, and, and they've been they've been very, very supportive. I mean, it's, it's three years now, so that our crew has all moved on, and everybody's pretty much got gigs, and, and we had pension plans for everybody, so. Everybody's pretty much taken care of, but if I miss the, the guys. A rock and blues icon who wanted nothing more than a life-making music, Huey Lewis has found peace in the songs of his past and the creative ambitions of his future. One of the great things in all of entertainment is if you become synonymous with a time that was really special for people, they always have that place in their heart for you. And uh, he has definitely left his mark. Meniere's disease is very mysterious, and boy, I, I, I hope that there are people working on it because, uh, you know, I'd like to go to a, a Huey Lewis in the News concert again. I think I can, I hope I can, and that's what I'm aiming for. I haven't given up on music. A word I'm never gonna sing again, and I may not, but I'm not, I'm not willing to say that yet. Listen to Behind the Music on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Want more episodes? You can watch Remastered, Best of the Vault, and new episodes of Behind the Music, only on Paramount+. Plus. is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.